We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast around the Blue Iron Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat. We are talking to you on a Monday before the Bulls play the Memphis Grizzlies in a couple hours. We are talking to you after the Bulls have dropped the last two games, both absolute heartbreakers. And this comes on the heels of the Bulls threatening their first four-game winning streak of Zach Levine's NBA career in his seventh season. Jason, they were so close. But man, uh, the last two games hurt. And I think that for Bulls fans, it was sort of a reality check because this was supposed to be the part of the schedule where the Bulls were supposed to rack up some W's when they traded for Nikola Vucevic. Nikola Vucevic uh, they basically had to play a lot of the best teams in the league. They had to play the Spurs. They had to play the Suns. They had to play the Jazz. They caught. They were lucky to catch the Nets on a night when James Harden and Kevin Durant weren't playing. They got a W there. Uh, they were able to beat the Pacers on a night when Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis weren't playing. They were able to eke out a win against Toronto. But, man, these last two games were tough losses, Jason. Fallen to Atlanta, falling to the Timberwolves. Last night's Timberwolves game honestly might have been even more frustrating than the Atlanta game. The Atlanta game, of course, anyone listening to this podcast already knows. Zach Levine, 39 points in the first half. Uh, Ends with 50, but the Bulls' defense totally falls apart in the second half. Some really questionable coaching decisions, closing with Lowry Markkinen and Kobe White. Uh, Bulls blow that game two nights later, losing to the league-worst Timberwolves. I don't think the Timberwolves are quite as bad as their record indicates. And the Timberwolves have been torching the Nets offensively lately. Go look at their recent schedule. They're dropping like 130, 140 on teams regularly. Well, they dropped 121 on the Bulls, and that was enough to get a W. Uh, so two tough losses, dude. And, you know, now they're playing the Grizzlies tonight. Both teams uh, enter this game as their third game in four nights. By the time you guys hear this podcast, we'll know the result. But, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of a bummer situation for the Bulls over this last weekend. Jason, man, where are you at right now with this team? 
Um, because I'm not really panicking. I did do a little tw- Twitter thread earlier today. Like, I know a lot of people are like panicking, and you're not panicking is the right word, but just like questioning, like, oh, did the Bulls make the right decision with this big Vucevic trade and all that? And like you mentioned, you mentioned the winning streak, and we will have to know that the winning streak, as you kind of mentioned there, was like against teams that were basically missing two of their top guys. Like you mentioned, no KD and no Harden. The Pacers, no Sabonis, no Brogdon, and then Miles Turner got hurt during the game. The Raptors game, they had no Kyle Lowry, no Fred Van Vliet. They had eight guys available. And then pa- Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher basically almost single-handedly erased like a 20-some point lead, and the Bulls kind of almost blew it, but they ended up holding them off. Zach had a few big baskets. But again, winning game, so they took advantage of the lighter schedule against teams missing their top guys. Then they played, so then they you mentioned the Hawks game, and Zach Levine explodes in that first half. And they were up 13 at the half, I think. And then just like the third quarter, the meltdown started. They kind of they kind of recovered for a bit in the fourth. Kobe White finally had some shots. And then just a total meltdown down the stretch. And you mentioned the coaching decisions. And I think the coaching stuff has definitely, I've noticed on Twitter, people are starting to get pissed at Billy Donovan. And like he obviously is still trying to figure things out with the, all these new guys, with with Daniel Tice and with, with, with Vucevic there. And figuring out what to do with how much to play Lowry and Kobe. And you have Troy Brown Jr.'s in the rotation now and, and all this kind of stuff. And the fact that he did ride with Kobe and Lowry down the stretch when they just were awful uh, against the Hawks was, was I think, very questionable. And we, the Hawks just roasted the Bulls in the second half. I think it was, what, 67 to 42, something like that. Just completely dominated them down the stretch. Bulls couldn't get any stops. They couldn't get any baskets. The Hawks' defense was totally selling out on Zach to stop him, and he wound up with 50 points, but, like, nobody else was doing anything. I think Lowry took four shots total in that game, like, despite being on the court a good amount, and, like, despite Zach getting double and triple teamed, which is just, like, unacceptable. Uh, Daniel Tyson only played the 12 minutes in that Hawks game, despite the Bulls giving up like a million points in the paint and just getting crushed. Uh, so I think that I think there there were definitely definitely reasons to cr- question Billy Donovan's rotations in that game. Uh, I think he did kind of fix that mostly against the Timberwolves. Timberwolves game was was honestly just super weird. You mentioned like how I think they they are better than their record. Cat missed so much time. Russell missed so much time. They are still missing Malik Beasley. I think for most of the rest of the season, but like. Uh, I mean, between like Cat, uh, Russell, Anthony Edwards, that's some t- How about talent there. Rubio, Rubio had five of yeah. six. He had yeah, three. He, had, he was he shooting twenty seven percent from right. three on the year coming into the game. Yeah, so like the first half, the Wolves were just like roasting the Nets, and like I don't even, I wouldn't even say the Bulls played that terribly defensively in the first half. Uh, but like the Timberwolves bench was crushing it. Rubio, yeah, Rubio hit some shots. Uh, I mean, Russell came in off the bench. It was like drilling really tough mid range shots. So, like. And I know they got to the line a ton. The Bulls were having a tough time defending without fouling. So they, they definitely were not playing good defense. I thought it was kind of unlucky. Third quarter, they come out, and they, the defense was good to start the third quarter. And then they got the lead down to four, and then Ricky Rubio comes out and hits three straight threes, and it's like back to 11. And clearly the frustration was mounting. And then the Bulls, they got back to within like one multiple times in the fourth quarter. They just could not get over that hump. I do think if you were talking about the rotation stuff in the Timberwolves game, I thought it was, most again, mostly better. We saw Daniel Tice get almost 30 minutes. We saw Troy Brown Jr. had his best game of the season. He closed over Patrick Williams. Patrick Williams just didn't have a good game. Troy Brown was like six of seven. He had three threes, had a big putback. He had played some decent defense. I think he did think he get burned a few times as well. Uh, but again, what what's new there? Uh, but I mostly like Billy's uh, rotations in this game. I do think you can question perhaps the all bench lineup at the start of the fourth quarter. The Bulls actually did 
make up some ground during this time. But the Timberwolves went three minutes without a basket. I would not say it was because the Bulls played good defense. They just started missing some shots. They had some open threes uh, that rattled in and out. They just finally started to come back down to earth. During this time where the Timberwolves scored zero points over three-plus minutes, the Bulls only took five points off the def- off their deficit. They still couldn't get tie the game or take the lead. And this was with the all-bench lineup. So we had, I think it was like Lowry, Kobe, Denzel, Tice, and I think that would probably be Troy Brown Jr. then. Uh, and like Kobe had some mistakes. Denzel badly bricked a three. He went one four. Lowry just didn't do any. Lowry again took four shots. He hit a couple threes early. I think he hit his first two threes. He had a nice and one read posted up. Tice got it to him down low and then he scored, bricked the free throw. But so like, but if Lowry's like not going to get touches on offense, like he's been efficient this year for the most part. But if he's only going to be taking four or five shots a game, like what the hell is the point of playing him? Like what, like what is even happening with that? So like that bench unit was not able to take advantage and score against the Timberwolves enough to like actually take the lead and then they bring it home. I think you could argue that maybe Zach Arusevich should have been out there, that one of those guys should be on the floor basically at all times. I know Vooch was in some foul trouble early, but I think he still only finished with 27 minutes. He was like a team worse minus 14. Cat was giving him the business. He uh, made him look really bad on one uh, drive to the basket. He basically kind of broke his ankles and then drove to the basket and dunked on him. I know so it was not one of Vooch's better games, but like, I think in these fourth quarters, you probably want to avoid those all-bench lineups and make sure one of your all-stars is on the court at all times when you're not able to score. Again, I know the de- they are the defensive concerns, but like, but I, I, the Timberwolves game was just so weird to me. It was a terrible loss for sure. Like the Timberwolves played legitimately really well. Their shot making was like I think way better than the couldn't than like expect. With I mean the Rubio three is so deflating. Uh, I mean Russell was nine of thirteen from the field. Cat was cat. He had a really just awesome game. He almost had a triple double. So like it was, it obviously was disappointing just in general though. It was the Bulls with this team with the with you make the Vucevic trade? You you don't want to be losing games to the Timberwolves even if they are better than their record says they are with their like talent wise like. That provide an opportunity to come back and make a statement after that Hawks collapse. Like, all right, like you can take us seriously. Like, we come out, play a good game against the Timberwolves, maybe, and you beat them. And then you obviously have the Grizzlies here later tonight. Instead, they trailed for like the last 41, 42 minutes of the game. I mean, they were just f- playing from behind the whole time. They can, they never were able to get over the hump. Uh, and it was just kind of frustrating just not seeing able to get them get stops, even if some of it was just kind of crazy Timberwolves shot making. Uh, I'm going to spin this forward a little bit. Here's a question for yep. you, Jason. Is the honeymoon period for Billy Donovan over? Obviously, we've loved Billy Donovan all season. Uh, his professionalism and his ability to coach an NBA team is just so significantly greater than Jim Boylan's. But we all know that NBA coaches always have a pretty quick expiration date, uh, typically do. Donovan was the coach of the Thunder, I think, for five years. If he coached the Bulls five years, that would probably be a huge win for the Bulls if they were to keep them that long. Uh, there have been some things lately that have been pretty frustrating. You definitely look at the lineups that has that have Lowry Markinen at the three as something that is just really frustrating and should probably never happen. I understand where Donovan's coming from when he does that. And to be clear, Billy Donovan has forgotten more about basketball than I will ever know. Uh, but, you know, there, there just have been a few sort of curious decisions. So, I'm only asking this, Jason, because I just hope that, you know, when they made the trade for Vucevic, that wasn't Donovan. That wasn't because they wanted to make Donovan happy. They didn't. I hope they didn't make that trade because they felt like they owed it to Billy Donovan to have a better team because, you know, Donovan pretty famously said he had no interest in a rebuild. Well, 
the when Garpax left the Bulls, they left them in a space for a rebuild. So uh, the Bulls cash in two future picks, trade Wendell Carter Jr. I liked the, I, I was fine with the trade when it happened. I liked it. I still like it. I think it's fine. I'm not going to overreact to two games. But I just hope they didn't make that trade for the short-term benefit of Billy Donovan because ultimately, who cares, dude? He's replaceable. <laughs> like, he is a good coach, I think. Like, I'm, I'm still good with Billy Donovan. I like Billy Donovan. But I don't know how much I, – I don't really want him to have, like, team-building influence because at the end of the day, NBA head coaches are pretty replaceable. So is the honeymoon period over? Jason, go. I would not say for me. I do think some fans, yes, because I'm definitely getting angry fans in my Twitter talking about Donovan and complaining about what's going on. I think and the critic, the criticism is absolutely fair. I just, I went down through, went, just talked about it just now. Just like, I think there, there's always room for criticism with lineups and rotations. And it's one of the easiest things for us bozos to criticize. And I think fans love doing it uh, with, with lineups. And it's, like I said, it's easy to do. It's, just like obvious I, mean, I don't want to say obvious but just like it's just very easy to criticize lineups especially when you like see guys, when you have guys that you like you have guys that you you have guys you want to see playing more and all that kind of stuff so like i totally get it i understand why fans are frustrated like i said i i would not say the honeymoon is over for me for billy donovan i'm I think he's you mentioned the professionalism that's good i do think he's in a tough spot as well just like trying to figure out rotations with working in new guys with Without uh, pre- without much practice time, and you make a big trade where you basically acquire what four new players, and three of them are in the rotation. So I guess it's he's just trying to figure things out. Uh, like I think he I, he I, he has kind of tightened things up a bit more lately. Like he's uh, the first those first couple games after the trade, like eight man rotation. Two, yeah, I mean, like going like eight. Like he did go ten against the Hawks. Denzel, it was almost like maybe like nine and a half. Denzel did get rotation minutes both the first and second half but Denzel was almost was kind of cut out for a few of those games there for the most part uh but it seems like it's mostly been like nine with like co- with the starters and then you get Kobe Lowry Tice and Troy Brown with then Denzel as like the 10th man we'll see if Garrett Temple I think he was questionable for this Grizzlies game we'll, so I guess we'll see if he plays tonight uh like I would guess Garrett Temple takes Denzel's spot as like the ninth or 10th man I guess we'll see what happens there between him and Troy Brown Jr. I think Troy Brown has earned some more minutes for sure. He looked really good last yeah. night. Yeah. And then like Denzel is like a type of guy you put in. Like if you'd like desperately need an offensive spark, you can throw Denzel out there. And if he chucks up some shots and misses, uh, you pull him right away. Uh, and if he makes them, you kind of ride that hot hand for a little bit before it goes bad because we've seen what too much Denzel can mean. It can often mean bad things. And there's a limited doses though. He can sometimes be okay, even though his shooting numbers are actually aren't that, aren't that good. But yeah, like I said, I'm fine with Billy Donovan. I think there's, again, there's room for criticism. Uh, I think these last couple games have been kind of rough in terms of what he's done in terms of some of these rotation decisions, especially in the fourth quarter. But uh, I, I th- I'm still fine giving him more time as he works out with these, uh, just works out the kinks with these new, with these new players. I know, again, like the season is running out. We're at, what are we at, like 20, 20 games left basically. So like there's not a lot of time. The Bulls are in a playoff play-in race or whatever. But like I'm still like just kind of, Whatever happens this season, I'm kind of at peace with it. Like if they kind of fall apart here and whatever, they'll probably make the plan. But if they fall apart and they get in, they have a lottery chance and they somehow get lottery luck and they get a high pick, or maybe they use that pick to trade for somebody uh, more to line up with Zach and Vooch. That's fine. Of course, if they get into the plan, maybe they win it. Maybe they get in the playoffs, even though they'll get crushed in the first round. It'd be nice to see them back in the playoffs. Like I'm kind of almost at peace with whatever happens here. I know you make a trade, these trades to like win games and like 
definitely like it's time to, I, it's time to win games but if they don't if it doesn't as long as it doesn't like go like totally bad i guess like that'd be really disappointing but if they just kind of meander here down the rest of the season uh and they ended up getting in the lottery maybe they get lucky and uh, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So I fully agree, man. Maybe it's just because I'm so happy Garpax is gone, and I'm so happy that Karnashovas actually did something to the roster. Now, I didn't really expect him to trade two first-rounders, but, <laughs> you know, I'm fine with that move, and time will tell how we can grade that out. But at the end of the day, and I'm going to say this probably every time we talk about this trade, I just don't think losing the ninth pick in the draft this year was... Uh, truly a death blow, especially after watching, you know, the last three number seven overall picks that they took really struggle. Uh, Of course, there's also an opportunity cost with that. You know, they could have gone out and gotten someone else, but I think Vucevic is still a good player. Last couple games have been frustrating. Uh, And yeah, it's like the franchise was left in a really bad position when Karnaschovas was hired. Karnaschovas chose to like watch the team up close and personally before he started making moves. We got frustrated about that initially because me and you and everyone else who's a Bulls fan knows the team that Garpax left him with was not any good. Well, Karnaschovas realized that because he traded basically half the roster at the trade deadline. So it's going to take some time. I think it's unreasonable to expect everything to come together right away. I keep saying that this roster feels very unfinished to me. And I think that, you know, when we go ahead into next season that you're going to see that. I think there's going to be significant turnover on the roster. I think hopefully I'll never have to watch a Denzel Valentine heat check again, because (laughs) I have had my fair share folks. I filled my quota of Denzel Valentine heat checks. Don't need that anymore. It's going to be amazing when he scores like 30, when he has 30 in this Grizzlies game tonight uh, after we record. (laughs) So let's just run through the rest of the schedule really quick. Of course, the Grizzlies game tonight, you will know the result by the time you listen to this podcast. Then on Wednesday, they play the Orlando Magic home game. Old friend Wendell Carter Jr. (laughs) That'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. By the way, Otto Porter, uh, I think he's hurt again and no buyout. Man wants his money and he's going to get it and salute. My friend. Good good for him, man. Good for him. Uh, Then on Friday, they play the Grizzlies again. So they're playing the Grizzlies twice in five days. On Saturday, they got a back-to-back against the Cavs. On Monday, Celtics. On Wednesday, Cavs. On Thursday, Charlotte. And then two games against the Heat, both on the road. Uh, They close out the month with the Knicks and the Bucks. So my take on that schedule is that there's a lot of those games that could really go either way, yeah. starting with the Grizzlies. I think yeah. these Grizzlies games, like the Grizzlies are a little better than the Bulls, I would say. And yeah. they probably shouldn't be because they play in the tougher conference. They haven't had Jaron Jackson all year. They don't have uh, D'Anthony Melton right now, I believe. They don't have Justice Winslow right now. But it's a good team. It's a well-coached team. John Morant's awesome. They have that lead engine that the Bulls still sort of don't have, even though Levine's leveled up. He's more of a true scorer than... Uh, elite engine type but yeah look there's just like not a lot of gimme games like basically there's if you look at the league picture there's eight good teams about eight trash teams and then there's it's a huge everyone else yeah sort of and now those teams range from like portland and dallas who are really good to like the bulls and the kings who kind of suck even though they're they don't purposely suck they just suck uh I don't know, man. There's not a lot of like gimme dubs on this. And I think that that is one thing that the start of the Vucevic era has taught me. It's just like, it's just not going to all come together and click right away. And, uh, you know, the vision that Karnaschovas has for this team is half finished. 
Yeah, I mean, especially just with the defense. The Bulls just are not a good defensive team. As it stands, they have too many, again, too many one-way guys. I mean, out of your nine-man rotation, uh, your two best players are offense-first guys. Your two, I mean, Lowry and Kobe, offense-first guys. Patrick Williams, he tries. He's not a good, I wouldn't say, he. I would not say he's a good defensive player yet. Sadoransky is, I mean, like, fine, but, like, again, not a stopper. I mean, the Bulls just don't have enough good defensive players to, like, be a good defensive team right now. So, like... Uh, the defense is going to struggle. So, like, there'll be games where you think that they should easily beat the Timberwolves, but the defense just can't stop anybody, and and they lose, and, and that'll happen. So, uh, again, we'll see what happens with this Grizzlies game. Again, uh, hopefully the Bulls come out and actually play well, and by the time you listen to this, hopefully you are uh, – hopefully it is on a positive note and the Bulls have won. Um, but uh, after this, we do, we uh, on the back half of this podcast, we will have a guest, Michael Pena, that we will – Pino that we will be bringing in. He's from Sports Illustrated. Used to work with Ricky. He's one of Ricky's guys over at SB Nation. So he recently wrote a column last week about the Bulls and kind of just talked about some of the stuff we just talked about. Uh, just kind of about being patient with the team and kind of just looking ahead and how their future is a little, a little bit brighter than you might think. So we will have him coming up next after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Now we're joined by Michael Pina from SI. We worked together over the last couple seasons, Michael, covering the NBA together at SB Nation. I'm so excited to see Michael doing big things at SI. He is hosting the Open Floor podcast with Ben Gallagher. I've been a listener of that podcast for years. Michael came in. He hit the ground running. You and Ben still have a great dynamic, I think. And uh, I still listen to that podcast all the time. So thank you for continuing to do that because it's one of the NBA podcasts I listen to. You're also writing columns at SI, and you recently wrote a column on our Chicago Bulls. The headline, Chicago's future is brighter than it appears. I thought this was a good headline uh, when I read it, and that was before 
the last two games when the Bulls totally embarrassed themselves. And now the entire fan base is talking about, well, should we be tanking to try to like maybe get this protected draft pick that's top four? Otherwise, we have to send it to the Magic. Uh, I really liked Michael's column, though, because he basically just sort of laid out a lot of the things Jason and I have been talking about on this podcast uh, every week, sort of on what the Bulls trade for Vucevic means for this year, for the future, and all of the different sort of team-building avenues and, let's say, team-building questions it unlocks for them on both ends of the floor. So uh, I guess I'll start off just asking you, Michael, uh, how are you feeling about the Vucevic trade to the Bulls now? And we can also tie in the other moves that the Bulls made, acquiring Troy Brown Jr., who, who had a great game last night against the Timberwolves and a horrifying loss for the Bulls. Uh, Daniel Tice, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, the God. As a former Celtics <laughs> player. I'm like, God, these Celtics fans just love Tice a little too much. When Tice was on was on the Celtics, and now that he's on my favorite team, I'm like, fuck, Tice is awesome. I love this guy. Uh so how are you feeling about those moves the Bulls made after however many handful of games it's been so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Vooch fan. Um, I think he's criminally underrated and totally deserving of both all-star spots, um, despite playing on pretty crappy, mediocre teams in Orlando. And I mean, I'll start with him because he's the big fish, but like he's just so first of all, he's not on a max contract, which is excellent. And it goes down, I think, by two million dollars over the next two yep. years annually, which is just superb for Chicago's purpose of trying to build around this guy. But like he's just super complimentary. Um, he's a seven footer who can shoot threes, pick and pop, also has really nice post game can rebound, struggles a little bit defensively, but I think he's uh, improved in that area a little bit since, you know, I think people would make jokes about how he had cement blocks for feet um, earlier in his career, but now he can do a little bit more, get a little bit further out on the perimeter, and he's a little bit quicker, and he has really good hands. And, you know, as you're trying to build around someone like Zach Levine, like Vooch is just a great number two piece because he's good enough in the block to draw two and he's a really smart passer, but also just the basics, like the pick and pop game with him. Um, you really have to respect it. And that kind of complicates how you want to defend Zach Levine in pick and roll coverages. Um, so I just love that as just like a foundational duo. And I don't think that that's, you know, enough to win a championship or win yeah. two playoff series even probably, but when you're trying to build, like that's just a, a really nice piece to kind of attract more talent eventually, which is something that I wrote about, which is like a key for my optimism. I don't think that the Bulls front office is dumb enough to think that this is it. And, you know, they're going to max out Zach Levine. They're going to really cross their fingers that Patrick Williams pans out and becomes Kawhi Leonard 2.0. And then that's going to be it. Like that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think they'll still be pretty aggressive. Um, and I guess like the other thing I'd say is that like Tice is basically Will Chamberlain. So <laughs> like getting him was just like the, yeah, it was incredible. Cherry on top. Tice has been really good. Uh, I feel like I always like knew he was like a decent player, but like he, he's been just great. Like the Hawks game, he only played 12 minutes, which was super disappointing. I was like, what? And like the Bulls gave up like a million points in the paint that game. And it's like, why are you benching Daniel Tice in that game? And then, and then, so then, 
Billy rectified that by playing Tice down the stretch against the Timberwolves. Play, I think he played almost 30 minutes. Obviously, the Bulls did not win that game, but like he still had really good numbers. I think he was a positive plus minus. I mean, you just see just like he's just such a solid player inside out. Also, like a good passer. He's not that big, but he's still like pretty a solid rim protector. He like he's had some really sick blocks already with the Bulls. So, like really solid player. But yeah, I guess going back to like just that you mentioned the foundational duo, and I think it's something you talked about in that in your column was just like about patience. And like I've been thinking about that as well. Like it's. After making a trade like this, the Bulls obviously signaled that they wanted to win this year. They want to make the playoffs. And, like, they probably still will. Like, they're before they, they play the Grizzlies tonight here, it's Monday, and they get, got the Grizzlies in a few hours. Like, they're still, like, two games up. Uh, I think, what are they, like, the 10 seed? There's still a couple games up in the Raptors. The East is, East is getting a little better, I guess. But, like, down there, it's just bad. So, like, they obviously make the trade to try to make the playoffs. They'll get smoked in the first round if they actually get in. But I think the key – I've just been thinking the key is really just next season. Uh, so like the patience, like you talked about patience. I think there does have to be just some patience level of patience here. Like you make a deal like this, you make a couple of trades, like you're not going to go from just being like crap, which the bulls have been for years to like, to really good. Like there's going to be some growing pains, especially like I had talked with that young recently, just like by email and like him talking about the difficulties of like working in all these new guys after the trade deadline and on a road trip. And like, you get no practice time. So like, again, the patience thing. And you talked about like how, they're probably going to still be aggressive, uh, make more moves in the offseason. I guess w- w- looking ahead to like the offseason, even if we're just not even thinking about this year, like what do you think would be the ideal like way to build this roster like around uh, around Zach and Vooch and then Patrick Williams? Like I know you talked about Lowry a bit, and Lowry has been very disappointing. Like Kobe White's been super disappointing. Like what do you think is the future with those guys and like the type of pieces the Bulls should be looking for to complement their star duo and then Patrick Williams as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I I listed a few names in um, that they can target in free agency, assuming that they do not re-sign Lowry Markkinen, which uh, I was shocked. I know it's kind of difficult to trade guys who are about to hit restricted free agency, but like I was kind of stunned that they didn't try to be more aggressive there and yeah. flip him for whatever they could. Um, now you're in a situation where, you know, I guess you could sign and trade, um, you could match an offer sheet and then, uh, try to flip that contract if it's, if it's movable to another team, which is another option. Um, or you could lose them for nothing and like, or you could just keep them and play Tice, Lowry Markinen and Vooch at the same time. <laughs> which is just like the funniest. I mean, they didn't do that against the Timberwolves. So that was a step in the right direction. I I really enjoyed Billy Donovan coming to his senses there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think the, the priority here is to keep cap flexibility. That's what I would do if I was in Chicago's front office. And the good news is that uh, Zach Levine is not on a, on max contract right now. As I said before, Vooch is not on a max contract. So you have a little bit of wiggle room before you got to pay Zach Levine his next monster deal, assuming that that's what they are going to do, which one would think they are kind of tied to it because uh, they just gave up two first round picks. And so losing Zach Levine for nothing would be a total disaster. Um, So, yeah, like there's there's some names this summer. Um, I think. You know, trying to keep it to a one-year deal, assuming that they bring back Thad Young, assuming that they bring back Thomas Sadoransky. Um, just trying to maximize flexibility. Uh, you know, I, I highlight uh, Brad Beal as a possibility, and I just love that fit for them, and I love um, 
obviously there's the connection. Did you guys know that uh, Brad Beal played for uh, Billy Donovan at the University of Florida? <laughs> Am I breaking news here? Breaking. Um, so, <laughs> so there's 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 that possibility. It could be a pipe dream. I don't know, but. Generally speaking, having cap space with two all-stars already on your roster uh, because Zach Levine's cap holds that summer will be very relatively low um, is good. And, I mean, having Pat Williams, who is kind of like a revelation, um, you know, I anticipated him being okay. Speaking as someone, Ricky would know much better than me. Um, speaking as someone who, like, watched zero minutes of him in college, just... Uh, the body type, the general read on the skill set. He seems like the type of player that you would want um, when you're trying to rebuild. And given his youth and the fact that they're already basically having him guard the opposing team's best score every single night is a really encouraging sign. He's hitting threes. Uh, last night, they benched him for Trey Brown Jr., which, you know, that's just what it is, I guess, in this weird regular season. Um but but yeah, like I keep going back to flexibility and, you know, obviously you want shooting. And I think the idea of preserving the starting five that they have now, which makes a lot of sense to me, um, and rolling that into next season could could bear some fruit for them. I got to ask about another trade idea you threw out in your column and I've heard this idea from you before because uh, you wrote it years ago and we got into a little discussion about it. But, you know, I honestly think your take, that original take looks better and better by each passing day. So, you know, uh, way to go. Congratulations. But thank you. What you threw out here in this column on SI was Patrick Williams for Pascal Siakam. And I threw this out there to my friends in my family this weekend just to like gauge the temperature <laughs> on it, you know, and they're not like as big of NBA nerds as we are. And they probably know who Pascal Siakam is and acknowledge him as like a near all-star level player, but everyone loves Pat right now. Right. Well, the last two games, Pat's played like 40 minutes and has scored four points. So Pat is still the second youngest player in the league. Pat might end up being very good uh, by the all in one metrics right now. He is among one of the worst players in the league. That is not exactly a cause for alarm because, you know, someone like Colin Sexton, it was the same thing with him. He was one of the worst players in the league as a rookie. A couple of years later, he looks like a nice piece for the cap. So, uh, and I think, you know, Patrick Williams' ceiling is much higher than uh, Sexton's just based on his tools. But I just kind of wanted to delve into this idea. Like, perhaps it makes sense for the Raptors to deal Siakam. Uh, perhaps... The Bulls feel some pressure to put another star next to Vucevic and Levine. And if they're going to do that, it should be a guy who is really mobile defensively, uh, you know, can make some plays without needing the ball in his hands, can be a finisher, can have sort of a versatile skill set. Siakam checks a lot of those boxes. So just sort of walk me through that trade idea in your head. Do you think this is realistic at all? And I'm curious what Jason would think of it, too, after Michael answers uh, just because when I read that, I'm like, oh, my God, Pina, classic Pina with this Pascal Siakam <laughs> trade. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed hey, reading it. Didn't, so. he call the, didn't he call the Vucevic trade? I believe he, he called that the like Vucevic a month or two ago. Too. Yeah, yeah he so. predicted the Vucevic trade. Thank you for reminding me on that. 
I'm one. I'm right like once in every ten takes <laughs> that I have. So that was that felt really good. Um, yeah, Siakam. I mean, if I'm the Raptors, like I don't know. I probably would have traded everybody on my team except Fred Van Fleet and OG and Anobi before this year's trade deadline. Um, like I don't really know what like trading norm Powell is really smart holding on to kyle lowry looks really really dumb right now for them um and like look like past i I mean you know pascal siakam this has been a really weird season for the toronto raptors but you know everything i hear and everything you see with just you know some disciplinary action there's been multiple fines two separate occasions at least that we know of of him kind of exploding uh, in the locker room towards his head coach and towards oh, yeah, some teammates. Right. So it feels like to me, you know, this is not a, a broken situation for them, but it just wouldn't shock me at all if they were trying to move on from that contract, given that they probably are going to now with a lottery pick, um, try to rebuild um, aggressively. And so, uh, that's kind of where I was. I was like looking around the league trying to see, okay, who is like an in their prime star? Um, you know, he was second team all NBA last season, I think. Um, so even though this year has been kind of disappointing, Pascal is still obviously really good. Um, and that was just kind of the target that made a lot of sense if they were trying to accelerate things and they weren't willing to kind of wait on Patrick Williams' development because it's just, he's just not on. Vooch's timeline, obviously. Um, and the fit just makes a lot of sense. Like, Zach Levine isn't a terrible defender. He's not the greatest defender of all time. Same with Vooch. And I think Pascal Siakam kind of compliments them both on that defensive end. And Ricky, why are you laughing at me? <laughs> because that is the nicest thing a national media <laughs> member has ever said about Zach Levine's defense. <laughs> so, like, we've done it, Jason. Like, we yes. finally changed the narrative slightly on Zach Levine's defense. He is no longer the worst defensive player of all time. Hell yeah. Yeah, he's not, he's not the worst. Um, so, it just it made a lot of sense. Like, I, I, I think it's intriguing what your ceiling is if those are the three guys that you're married to. And that's your big three. I think it's fascinating. And your window is also not like super wide there because of Vooch's age. And all of a sudden, Vooch is going to need another contract. Um, But it's really intriguing to think about. And there's just not a lot of other options, frankly, at least now when you look at um, kind of the landscape of the league. And it can obviously change overnight. Um, but just having Patrick Williams is like a super, if you were trying to accelerate it, he's just like a really fascinating trade asset that I think a lot of teams and any team that was trying to rebuild would be super attracted to. Yeah. I mean, I would have to at least think about it because like Siakam is probably as like a third option is obviously very good. Like he's been trying to, I mean, as like the number one option, no. Number two, I mean, sure, kind of. I mean, obviously when they won the title, they had Kawhi and Lowry, and Siakam was kind of like that third guy, and he'd be the third guy here. And I mean, he just roasted Vooch the other night. I know the Bulls won that game against the Raptors, but like uh, Siakam and Chris uh, Boucher just absolutely lit the Bulls' front court up, and Vooch got owned time and time again. So I guess Vooch doesn't have to worry about that anymore if the Bulls uh, traded for Pascal <laughs> Siakam. Uh, it's at least intriguing. I would at least think about it. I know obviously people have such high hopes for Pat, and you, you throw like the Kawhi stuff, but like, I mean, him reaching like even close to a Kawhi level is such like a high end 
probably not realistic outcome. I mean, the more realistic outcome is that he's like very good, maybe like borderline all-star. Uh, and then Siakam's basically an all-star. I mean, I think he's whatever you made. You said like second team, all NBA. So like, like yeah, if you're wanting to accelerate things, you want to like get a proven winner in there next to Zach and Vooch and get those guys to stick around. Like, sure. I would think about it. At least it's kind of fun. They'd, they'd be a really good team. Like, again, I don't know if they'd be a title team, but like, they'd at least have three really nice pieces and then they could maybe get some other good defenders in there. Just that, that kind of prototype of a player would be, I think ideally for, or ideal for what they're looking for next to, because they also need, I mean, they need some defense, obviously long athletic defender. Siakam would do that. He could slide in right at the four. They could use a point guard, find that somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I'm intrigued by it. I'm, it's at least very interesting. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you threw out a bunch of names for guard options. You alluded to this earlier. Uh, when you were saying, you know, some guys who the Bulls could be interested in uh, this offseason, Evan Fournier, Goran Dragic, Spencer Dinwiddie, Will Barton, uh, Lonzo Ball, you mentioned. You also threw Kelly Olynyk in there, not a guard. Uh, I'm curious what you think of Dinwiddie and his potential fit for the Bulls, because I think the Bulls need a big guard next to Levine. I don't know. I mean, like, what's our read on Dinwiddie's defense? I would say, like, average pre-injury, but he is huge. And he's still younger than you think he is. Uh, you know, do you like a Dinwiddie to the Bulls pairing? I I kind of feel like when they get the th- whatever they do for their third piece, they should try to get someone with some upside. Just because uh, you want to try to give yourself a little bit of upward mobility. Like, I guess Levine totally outperformed his contract when he got it. Vucevic obviously outperformed his contract. But now those guys, like the surplus value has an expiration date Mm -hmm. and it's coming up soon on both of those deals. So I would love to try to get someone who could be, you know, (laughs) uh, who could has some room to grow, I guess, as a player. I don't, I think Lonzo certainly fits that bill. I don't really know if Dinwiddie does, but Dinwiddie to me could maybe be a decent flyer to take. Uh, What do you think about Spencer Dinwiddie right now? And maybe how he'd fit the Bulls. I mean, there's two things right off the bat. Like, what's he going to look like off the ACL? And this is his second torn ACL. I think it's the other, though. And that was in college. Um, Spencer Diddy, when he was 100% healthy, the year D'Angelo Russell was an all-star in the Nets. I live in Brooklyn, so, you know, I've been in their practice facility a ton that year and went to all their home games. And, like, a lot of people thought that Dinwiddie was the best player on the team and should have been the all-star. He's really good. And, you know, the thing about him, though, like, if you were to bring him aboard, like, you got to worry about how much are you going to pay Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the ACL. I think his next contract is going to be really fascinating. So if you can get value there, all the better. Um, But, like, he is hyper efficient in the way that he draws fouls, which is super valuable. Um, Really aggressive downhill, um, big guard, primary ball handler, pretty good playmaker. Um, The thing about him that's a little troublesome is the three point shooting. And that's one of the reasons why he wasn't a great fit in my eyes with Kyrie and, and KD. And if you take the ball out of his hands, he's a little less lethal. So as like a third option or just if you were to stagger him with Levine, I think that could work really well. Cause like, I still think that his ceiling is 
you know, pseudo all-star. I don't know if he'll ever make a team, but someone who can give you like 20 and seven efficiently, like that's pretty great um, as a third option. And it's probably not going to be anywhere close. It's definitely not going to be anywhere close to a max contract or anything like that. So that's great. So um, I'd like, like, I I personally think I'd like um, if we're having like the Spencer versus Lonzo conversation, um, I think I might like, if I knew Spencer was going to be what he was two years ago again, I think I might prefer Spencer, to be honest. And that's really not a knock on Lonzo. Lonzo's defense is terrific. Um, I mean, you guys, I don't need to give you like the scouting report about Lonzo Ball. We've talked about him a ton. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I just don't know what the, the upside is right. with Lonzo. I think he's a great fit, but... Some of the dollar signs that you're you're hearing getting thrown around yeah. with this next deal are just like totally unreasonable to me, and I would not get sucked into that game um, if I were the Bulls because like he's not a th- like the third best player on a championship yeah. team, just like not a half I, I, like not even close. So, yeah. so yeah, um, I like Spencer Dinwiddie. Answer to the question. My only counter on Lonzo is that, you know, we had the same conversation when Levine signed a second deal. Levine got 20 million a year. He got four years, 80 million. And the smart Bulls fan base on Twitter was like, I don't know if this one's going to work out. And it did work out. So as a general take, how's this for a take, Mike? I think guys who get paid a lot of money on their second contract usually are worth it. It's the third contract or the fourth contract where you're basically paying for the player's previous reputation that kills you. So if the Bulls were to, let's say, give Lonzo Ball $21 million a year, uh, and that would take some finagling just to do that. Obviously, Lonzo has some pretty big holes in his game as a player, most notably the fact that he cannot get to the basket and put any pressure on the rim. uh, So he's not really a point guard. But I could see him living up to that contract pretty easily. And if not, I think he'd be close enough where he would still have value in a trade. Uh, I guess that's neither really here nor there, but uh, I like Dinwiddie too because I've always thought Levine could have a little more juice if he played more off the ball. And just like as in every possession down the floor decision maker, uh, that's kind of where he leaves a little bit to be desired as an offensive player. His scoring is hot fire. I mean, anyone who saw the highlights of that first half against the Hawks knows that this dude can hit every single shot in the book. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he needs to be dribbling the ball seven times before he takes them. So uh, I think what the Bulls do at guard this year is going to be really fascinating. And uh, Mike, I know you got to get out of here. I'll let Jason ask uh, yeah, one more question yeah. if you got anything. Real quick, how much did you enjoy watching all the Thad Young you did for this uh, column? Because Thad Young has been great this year. Thadjik Johnson, uh, I know you were highlighting some of his just stuff this year. How, was, that, was that a nice treat for you to go through so much Thad Young film? Yeah, I was joking with with Ricky. Um, that's like the number one reason why I wanted to write about the Bulls. It's <laughs> like because no one's gonna say, "Give me the green light to write the Thad Young column." <laughs> so, so that's great. I mean, I, I love him. I wish he played more minutes. Frankly, um, I get a little frustrated sometimes, and I don't really. Maybe you guys can enlighten me about why his. I know he's not like a spring chicken right now, but like. Um, the way he's kind of utilizing the rotation is a little bit curious. And every time like Lowry Markinen's on the floor and he's not, I'm just like, I, I shake my <laughs> head and I don't get it. Um, 
but he's he's so good and I love Sadoransky too. Like Sadoransky's effort is I don't know, you, I'm sure you guys watched last night's game, but um I forget who he chased down on the Timberwolves. Um I can't it was remember. like a turnover and he managed to Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, poke the ball away from behind on a fast break without fouling, which is like a lot of players would have totally given up on that. Yeah. And that's just like his MO. And he's he doesn't take a lot of threes, but he makes them. Um, super smart, heady player. And um, I love both of them together. Um, they're great. So that was a big impetus for me to write the story for sure. Yeah, the Bulls vets have been real solid. Uh, thank you for giving us your time. We'll let you go here. We know you got to roll. Uh, real quick, just again, let our listeners know where they could uh, find you. So give yourself a nice shout out here. Um, on Twitter at Michael V. Pina. And I guess just go to si.com and subscribe to SI. That would be super. I like being employed. And also subscribe to the Open Floor uh, a podcast with me and Ben. And uh, we have a good time over there twice a week. So uh, I appreciate you guys for having me on. I'm sorry this is so short. I'm going to write another Bulls column so you can have me on before the season's over. Excellent. We can do it a little bit longer, a little more in depth. Um, but this was great. Well, thanks, awesome, Dave. man. Thank you for joining us. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us here at Cash Considerations. As always, shout out to the Blue R Network. Uh, for us at Cash, please rate and review us wherever you get your pods. We're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all those good places. Uh, again, we are recording Monday before the Bulls game, so by the time you guys hear this, the Bulls will have played. Hopefully they don't suck. We'll see. Knock on wood about that. Uh, so we will talk to you guys next time. Take it easy.